Welcome to Beauty GPS in the Hot Seat. Every first and third Saturday at noon, you, the consumer, get to ask our licensed and accredited beauty and health experts your burning beauty questions. This week, I'm excited to introduce to you our very first guest, microblading pioneer and micropigment expert, Julia Ann Millen. Julia is in the hot seat because she's the founder of Brow Design International, which is the leading American Academy for microblade training and certification. Julia's also been named New York's microblading guru by ABC's Good Morning America and Marie Claire magazine. In this episode, Julia and I are going to discuss whether it's a good idea to tattoo away your dark under eye circles, as well as talk about what's new and exciting in micropigmentation, since microblading is such old news. I also found that Julie and I had so much crucial information during our interview, especially for survivors of bad microblading or maybe professionals thinking about getting into microblading, that I decided on the fly to produce two versions of Beauty GPS and call this Beauty GPS Raw. So you can either dig into this insider information we have for you or thank me for the nap later on. I want to take this time to thank my brother Ben Shook for trying to engineer some technical issues that we're still working on, as well as Frida Shore for her assistance. I also want to apologize in advance for the lisp that this call-in system seems to want to give me. Hopefully that's all gone by next episode. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show. And thanks for listening. Hi, Mary. Thank you so much. It's, a, it's an honor to be your inaugural guest on Beauty GPS. And uh, I'm Really happy to be here to speak about my experiences in microblading. I've got you on today because I weekly have customers or people that come to me and they say, you know, there's this really cool thing that they tattoo on these eyebrows and they look like real hair and it's this new innovation and I'm just really nervous. And But I see all these things on Instagram and social media and it's just like all my friends want to do it. I want to do it. But then all of a sudden you hear the horror stories too. And knowing yeah. that you are the pioneer of this service in the U.S., and you're going to get into that a little bit more, but it's basically like, what is microblading, and how how did you come across it and bring it to the U.S.? Okay, so microblading is a form of cosmetic tattooing, and I just want to put that right out there right now because a lot of people think that, oh, it's not tattooing. No, it, indeed it is, and people get confused because we're using manual tools instead of a, a tattoo machine or a permanent makeup device uh, to implant pigment into the skin. So really what we're doing is we're using a, um, a, a very, very tiny needle, and it's a row of anywhere from 12 to 14 to 18 tiny needles at about uh, 0.2 millimeters diameter, and it's shaped like a blade, so hence comes the term microblading. But in reality, they're actually needles. So how it, the, the, the technique is actually done is that we're slicing tiny hair strokes into the skin and depositing pigment underneath the epidermis into the top layer of the dermis layer or in the basal layer in between. And so when, when the skin closes over, it creates the tattoo. And when done properly, it heals into a very, very thin hair stroke. And so it creates the illusion of hair. And what's wonderful about it is, is that uh, the technique actually combines, when done properly with the right artistry, it combines with the client's natural eyebrow hair, so then it creates the illusion of a full eyebrow. Got it. So, so how did you so get popular. into this? I have a very unusual story. My mother uh, has been in the beauty industry for 20 years, and I, I come from a web design art background. And ah. one day, uh, about five years ago, when I first got into the industry, I saw her practicing um, microblading on fake skin on latex. And I was asking her, what, what is this that you're doing? This is really interesting. She's like, oh, it's a form of permanent makeup. And I'm like, permanant makeup? Whoa, wait a minute. This isn't the permanent makeup that I'm used to seeing, you know, like these block eyebrows, blues and blacks and all sorts of crazy stuff that you've seen in the past, you know, 20, 30 years. And I said, well, this is, this is really interesting. Like, you know, tell me more about it. So she, you know, she had trained a little bit. And uh, she was you know, teaching me about it, how to do in latex. And I said, oh, this is really cool. You know, so I'm an artist and I, I love makeup and I love the beauty industry, having grown up with it my whole life. And I said, well, let me let me try to get into it. So I started practicing and I and I really enjoyed it. So I, I went for training uh, in Serbia. Uh, Serbia? And I, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, how it started, actually. It's, it's an Asian technique, but my teacher uh, is Serbian and he went to Asia to learn it. And so then I... I saw him on the internet and said, well, this is really cool. So I just decided to fly over there to, to train and bring it back to the United States. Wow. So that's how that started. Mm -hmm. 
But and why then, Serbia uh, versus elsewhere? I mean, like what what in what drew you to that specific location? Uh, because the work that was coming out of there was the most realistic and the most beautiful, and I I liked it the best. So I'm like, why not just go go to train with the best person? And that's what I did. Ah, so as far as how long has it been around? Like because tattooing and and that kind of handwork has been around. I feel like for ages, but you know. Microblading only kind of came on my radar maybe five five years ago. Yes, yes. Actually, it's a very it's it's an older technique than you think. Uh, it came from from um, oh, what's that? Not Hong Kong. Hong Kong was uh, Taiwan. It actually came from Taiwan thirty years ago. And the story wow. is, and I know the story because I was in China over the summer and I studied uh, microblading. I took a, a, a one day class, private class, with uh, one of the very first microblading masters in the entire world who actually learned it from Hong Kong and told me the story that it started in Taiwan because there was uh, a man whose best friend, who happened to be a woman, uh, had cancer and lost all of her eyebrows. And so he came up with this tattooing technique of actually uh, cutting the skin and implanting pigment. And it came a long way from there. So people in Hong Kong and China flew to Taiwan to learn it. And so then it came to Hong Kong. And then the Chinese, obviously, because Hong Kong is basically part of China, but it's it's separate, but it's um, right below China in the south, in the south coast of, um, of Asia. And the Chinese came to Hong Kong to learn, and then they spread it all through China. And then it came to, to Japan. And then what happened was, is that um, the Europeans who caught on to the technique about about five years ago uh, or six years ago, went there to Asia to learn, to China, to learn, and then brought it over to Europe. And then from Serbia, it spread all over Europe and now to the USA. So that's actually where it started 30 years ago. And it actually came a really long way since then. Of course, in the beginning, the work was ugly. It wasn't, it wasn't refined. And then throughout the last 30 years, the techniques have been refined. So that's, that's the real history from the horse's mouth of microblading. Oh, interesting. So, well, it's obviously got a, a great effect because I went on realself.com and wanted to see mm-hmm. since it's been around for a little bit and it says 73% of women say it's worth it. So that's a lot mm-hmm. higher than I thought given the feedback that I'm getting. So, I mean, mm-hmm. would you say that that's a good number or do you think there's more people that are dissatisfied or satisfied with it? Um, judging from my experience, I would say half the people are dissatisfied and there's really good reasons for that. Um, it has to do with the lack of proper training and the fact that it's considered, uh, in the beauty industry to be fast money, which it's not, it's an extremely difficult technique, um, not only artistically, but how to execute it. So there's a specific technique of how to get, um, eyebrows or microblading that's actually healed with a proper color and the proper depth without any, um, blowouts or migration as we call it in the industry. So what a blowout or migration is, is when the hair stroke doesn't heal, uh, properly, it doesn't heal, uh, to a crisp stroke. Instead, Spills underneath the skin, and so that's what we call a blowout. So I would say, and also another thing I need to mention is not everybody's a candidate for microblading. So those people who are inexperienced, not trained properly, they'll try to attempt microblading on the wrong skin type and thus get not so great results. So oftentimes the results will be um, gray or blue healed results, or they'll be uh, blowed out or just completely disappeared after three after 30 days. So wow. this, these are the dangers uh, with the microblading. But when done properly and done in the right way, yes, it is a, it's a really beautiful result. So that's what I would say. So the people who have gotten it done by people who are highly trained and experienced, they're happy with the results. But the people who are getting it from people, say, who uh, didn't take an official training and just decided to learn off of YouTube and get materials off of Amazon, you know, these are the people who are not happy. I see. Yeah, because I, I do hear of it a lot, and I, I think we're hearing about the same thing. It's about half that are really not happy. But mm-hmm. can you walk me through the process of what happens? So, you know, I, I understand that you map the brows and there's numbing and all of that, but can you tell me specifically, if I'm going in for the service, what should I be, be expecting here? Okay. So when I first see a client, I have them fill out paperwork to ensure that they're a good candidate. I want to be sure they're not um, on any medication, any blood thinners that's going to cause problems with the healing and problems with the actual treatment itself. I want to be sure that uh, they're not pregnant or nursing or, you know, have any allergies to, to anything. So this is really important. So we have nickel allergies to worry about, lidocaine, all sorts of anesthetics. So this is number one, safety first. Um, then I look at their, their, the, uh, the way their hair grows, uh, their hair pattern, and decipher which pattern I'm going to use on them because we all have 
um, different kinds of growths on our hair. And then what I do is I do the numbing. So I numb the client for about 15 minutes and then I choose the color for them. So uh, the pigment lines that I use, so we have like 30 different eyebrow colors and there's a lot to take into consideration. The client's natural hair color, the eyebrow color, and also the skin tone. That's also very important because we have warm neutrals and cools that we have to use uh, to counteract. So if she's got warm skin, I'm going to use either a neutral or a cooler pigment to, to cancel out so that I'll get the best healed results. Okay, so after the numbing, then I map the brows according to their bone structure, and then I also incorporate some of the eyebrow hair. And what's different about this is that oftentimes I'll get clients whose skin has fallen off the bone, so the oh. eyebrows will actually be displaced off the bone, believe it or not. So then I have to decide what it is I'm going to do with the client. Either I'm going to remove some of their eyebrow and then tattoo over the bone, or I'm going to keep what they have and well, I always consult with them what they want me to do. So I'm very upfront and honest with that, to them with them about, you know, how, what the best way to map their brows is. So usually they have me do what I want, which is uh, the best way because I've been doing this for a long time, very experienced. I've done thousands of clients and I know it's going to work and I know it's not going to work. So usually I'm only removing a very tiny bit of, of the hair and then reshaping their eyebrow. So that's, that's the most important thing. The thing that is the most important thing with microblading is the shape, because even if the hair stroke pattern, say like for a beginner, and this is what I tell all my students, if the hair stroke pattern isn't perfect, it's okay because you can fix it later and it will fade. But the shape, uh, you can't always fix the shape. So as long as you have that fixed perfectly, you're, you're good. So after that's done, uh, the numbing is done, then I draw the eyebrow on, and then we just begin the process. So I'll do a first pass. Um, with the hair stroke pattern, I'm sure to always outline the shape in the right way with the microblading. So what we do is we just dip the needle, the manual needle, into the pigment, and then we draw on the hair strokes. And then usually it's about uh, two to three passes. Uh, we continue to add secondary anesthetic to keep the client comfortable. It's important for them not to have any pain. And um, then we're finished. And that's it. And they come in for a touch-up about 60 days afterwards. So it's best to wait um, six weeks the skin to heal completely before we go back in because if we do it prematurely uh, then we can damage the skin cause scar tissue and then we won't have a, a good healed result and then as the client ages and as the permanent makeup ages it'll lessen the ability of the skin to soak up um, extra uh, pigment for the touch-up sessions because this is important because all permanent makeup now it's semi-permanent now what i mean by semi-permanent is it's not going to fade completely but the pigments are designed to fade over the course of one to three years because styles change, um, colors change. So we want to be able to be more versatile. So that's why we call it semi-permanent as opposed to permanent. So you see those eyebrows that were done like 20 years ago, and that pigment is in there thick as heck, and um, it's, it's completely dark, and the, the color has changed into a blue or a green. And this is impossible to work with without removal. So that's why the, the pigments have actually changed over the years to accommodate. So I, it's, uh, you're getting ahead of me for a second because when Sorry. I was going to ask you, <laughs> if someone came in with a tattoo already that had turned colors, do you have to tell them uh -huh. to go to a doctor to get that removed? Um, yes. So you're starting without those weird green and oranges yeah. and, and so it's, on? It's Right. Yeah, it's best to do that, uh, to do the removal. Uh, I'll start with the first thing. The skin is like a sponge, and there's only so much the skin can retain pigment-wise. Uh, before we can put more in. So, for example, if somebody comes in with really dark blue, gray brows, I wouldn't be able to work on them even with the device because the skin can't take any more pigment. So I can layer an orange on top of a blue brow and turn it brown, but it'll only stay brown for like three months, and eventually that will fade back to the same color. So mm -hmm. it's best to start with a clean canvas or at least lighten it enough so then I can go ahead and correct the color and, um, you know, make it look new again. So there's several ways of um, doing tattoo removal. You can do laser removal, or we can also do something called saline removal, which it, some people think is safer. It's either or. Laser, basically, it's, in some cases, it can be dangerous because you can burn the skin. Um, if you have an inexperienced technician, they can, you know, cause more scar tissue. And I've never seen laser removal that has been completely perfect. Like, whenever they come back, even if it's all gone, usually there's a little bit of pink left over, uh, which is the scar tissue. So well, how long from the laser? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, please. I'm sorry. How how long from the time that they've had the laser can they do they have to wait before they can see you and and have the service? 
I would wait four to six weeks again for the skin to heal completely. Okay. Okay. At least, well, I would say even six weeks because some people, as we age, our healing time gets longer and longer. Yep. Um, so the service time is how long? When they, from the time that they, they sit down and, and sign their paperwork to the end um, where you're, you're putting on whatever you do because we still have to, how, how does the service end <laughs> that day? And then before we go on to what the aftercare is, but um, what, what, what's the average time that someone's in your seat? Uh, anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours, depending on the complexity of the of the client. So okay. if it's an easy job, about 90 minutes. If it's a difficult job, it'll take me a little bit extra, two hours. Because uh, especially if the skin's not retaining pigment well, then I'll have to go ahead and do a combination technique with either manual shading or device shading with the machine. So that would be, you know, laying down the strokes with the microblading. And if they want a bolder brow or they want something, they want more of an effect, um, then I would do use a, a different technique of shading to kind of fill in in between the microblading strokes to give them a, a more full brow. Okay. So that will take on an extra 20, 30 minutes. Got it. And so what, what should people expect after, after the service? Because the one thing that I keep hearing and seeing and people say is like, oh, I wish I'd known this. And, you know, I didn't know I was going to have to wait two weeks. And, you know, like all these different things that people get frustrated with as far as the aftercare. So what's involved in that? Okay, the aftercare for the brows is a little bit more complicated than for other forms of permanent makeup. Um, the client, it, because we're working on the skin, and after the skin, um, after we're finished, the skin will still ooze a little bit of lymph and some blood. So the lymph is actually the body's way of protecting, and that's what causes the, the scabbing to protect the healing tissue underneath. But that's what we want to avoid in microblading, because we the scabbing is actually going to affect the final outcome of the microblading. Uh, scabbing will take away pigment out of the skin. It'll cause blotch, splotchy or uneven healing. So what the client needs to do is every hour to two hours after the microblading treatment is to wipe with a uh, with distilled water and a clean gauze or cotton pad to remove all the lymph and then apply um, a very thin layer of um, aftercare ointment or aftercare cream. I prefer to use um, Aquaphor. It's it's very simple. It's cheap. The clients can buy it at um, any drugstore, readily available, and it's and it's wonderful for healing. And it it doesn't dry out the skin like Vaseline would. It's got a little bit of lanolin in it, so I've, I've found it to be the best um, aftercare. So they would wipe the brows and then just apply the aquaphor in order to um, to protect the eyebrows as it's healing. So they would continue this for a week. So it's a little, it's it's kind of time consuming for the client. They can't get the eyebrows wet. They can't go to the gym. They can't go to the sauna. They can't sweat. Um, they can't drink in excess. So anything that will compromise the healing. So this this is important for the for okay. the result to to last. Well, and I understand also because you're dealing with opening skin, are there things beforehand like not taking vitamin E and other types of things yes. beforehand? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, if, if they're not under doctor's orders, they must take, stop taking blood thinners like Tylenol, acetaminophen, ibuprofen, any of these things that have been within the blood. Now, if they're under doctor's orders, obviously we need a doctor's note for them to stop because some people have heart issues and whose health can be compromised if they stop their medication. And we're not doctors, we're not qualified to make those calls. Um, but they must stop fish oil, bromelain, pineapple, any of these things that is gonna cause bleeding. So this is also very important. They must not drink the night before. They can't have caffeine that day because this will also thin the blood. So when, when we're working with the microblading, and we have too much bleeding during the service, the blood can actually work against us. It can push the pigment out as we're trying to put it into the skin. So the result won't be as, as effective. Okay. So then what, what are we looking at? Actually, before I even get into the risks, the saline removal, what's involved with the saline removal? Okay. So the saline removal, it can be done with the manual needles or the, or the micropigmentation or tattooing device. And simply what we're doing is we're opening up the skin and um, implanting a saline or salt solution uh, underneath the skin to break up the pigment, bring it to the surface into a scab. So it's the opposite of microblading aftercare. We want the skin on top of the scab, and then once the scab falls off, it takes the pigment with it. So that's how the, uh, the saline removal is done. Okay. And then is there an after time from that, from as, as far as healing time, six weeks as well, like the laser or? Six weeks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly the same because we're damaging the skin and we want the skin to completely heal so then we can get the best results and not have scarring for the client. 
Okay. So now what are the risks? Because we, we know, we've talked about scarring and a few things, but can you just lay out exactly what the risks are that we're looking at with this microblading service? Okay. Well, the risks obviously um, with untrained technicians would be um, uneven eyebrows, uh, gray eyebrows, scarring. Uh, as far as like uh, risks to do with health, uh, not so much when the when the treatment is done safely, but the biggest risk would be obviously cross-contamination, using dirty tools, reusing needles, using pigments that have uh, toxins in them, such as nickel or any kind of um, heavy metals. A lot of the times uh, when technicians will use the pigments that have, bought, have been bought from an unknown source or cheap, they'll oftentimes uh, not have been sterilized properly or they will have um, heavy metals or toxins in them. So this, this is always the danger that we deal with. And also, if a, if a technician is not trained properly in bloodborne pathogens, they can cross on uh, contamination from one client to another. Yes. So oftentimes, not oftentimes, but a, like rarely, it does happen. Because uh, we have a paperwork that they fill out and they, the client needs to know, needs to let us know if they have any diseases or if they're on any medications. So sometimes somebody could be infected and not tell you, or they may not even know. So like for the case of hepatitis, maybe they have no idea. They could just be a carrier. And so they wouldn't know. They wouldn't put it in the paperwork. So the technician must always treat every client as if they have something only to be safe. So this way we're wrapping our lights, we're wrapping our pigments, we're using everything disposable. Um, everything that's on my tray when I work, I throw it all away. I use all disposable tools. Even the hand piece that I use is disposable. Well, so and this is the, that's the biggest danger. That's, that's, I mean, I've, I've seen everything has to be wrapped and because that's an OSHA law. Now, are, are you ever nervous though, working around people's lips? Because a lot of people don't know that they have, uh, you know, a way that if you, they've never had a cold sore and all of a sudden you've mm -hmm. stimulated that area, <laughs> yeah. you know, they could have a nice big cold sore all over the face. Like, does that not make you yeah. nervous? Sure, of course. I mean, it's in the paperwork. So we always ask clients if they have a history of cold sores or chicken pox. So this is an issue because if they develop a cold sore after the pigmentation has been done, then it can, um, it can hurt the, uh, the healing process and the actual results afterwards. So for these clients, it's not impossible to do, but we recommend them taking uh, some form of antiviral such as Valtrex, or some people even take Lysine, but I, I really prefer them to take Valtrex. So just go to the doctor, Get yourself a prescription, take that four days before and after, and it's fine. Going into laws and so on, people think that just because if you take a course that you're certified and then you could work on someone, whereas people don't understand you have to have more than that. Right. It's a funny thing in the industry, this thing called certification. And I often ask, who's certifying you? Like my company, I have a certification program, but I'm upfront with everybody. I say my certification is my certification. It's brow design. It means you've passed my courses, you've passed my test, and you've, you've gotten to the level where I say, okay, I would consider, consider you a brow design certified artist. And I'm very strict. Um, but as far as laws are concerned, every state is different. And even in New York state, um, we have different counties. So New York City County is different than Nassau County or Suffolk County in Long Island, and it's different than New York State, Westchester County. Uh, so in, in New York, it's separated that way. In Texas, it's by the state. So you have to get a tattoo license in most places. And in Texas, we have to, because I have two offices. I work in, in Texas and I work in New York. So Texas, I have to have the uh, state inspector come to my establishment and in inspect my establishment to make sure that I'm up to code with bloodborne pathogens and tattooing regulations. Whereas in New York, it's an individual license. So the, the individual artist is licensed, where in Texas, it's my establishment that's licensed. So some, some states like Connecticut, you have to go through a 2000 hour um, apprenticeship in order to have your tattoo license. So oh. it varies from state to state. So every, everybody who gets involved in microblading needs to do their research and call their health department um, in, in their jurisdiction to find out what's required for them to legally offer the service. That's a good idea. So we'll post that on the website so that people know that that's a way to be able to check out their artists because there's, there's, it's kind of the wild west. I feel like in New York city, because like you said, it's about the individual and is it still where only OSHA has to pass them and that's it? No, no, no OSHA. You, all you have to do is go down, go downtown in New York city, pay your money for your license, go take your test. They give you a PDF or a pamphlet of 40 pages. You have to study that. 
then you go into your test and you watch a 40 minute video and then you take a test and then you get wow. your license. It's, it's like wow. that. It is, in my opinion, it's, it's not, um, it's not enough. Yeah. They don't teach you enough and you can go anywhere. I mean, there's no, the, there's, there's no, it is like the wild west. Um, I can legally go into someone's home in New York city and microblade. Is it safe? No. Is it sterile? No. You know, but, and, and I don't do it. I don't make house calls. I ask clients to please, even my VIP clients, please come to my office so I can ensure the highest safety. Um, but yeah, no, it is, it's really scary and it, and it happens. I mean, even here in Texas, it's illegal. You cannot make house calls in Texas, but people do it anyway. You mean so. you're not doing any microblading parties there, Julia? <laughs> <laughs> don't think they're probably not happening. I haven't oh, heard of oh, any, but I bet you there are. <laughs> I've heard of them. <laughs> oh, no. I know that oh. they're happening. And you know that the danger is because the, my health inspector came to my office and we talked about it. And he mentioned this and he says, yeah, we're cracking down. It says, if any, and he told me, if anybody goes and does that in Texas, I have the legal right to have them arrested and put in jail. This is not my words. This is my health inspector's words. And wow. I warned people. I said, please be careful. I'm not here to police you. That's not my job. I'm here to inform you. So just you know the risks that you're running. And, you know, be informed. And I want to tell my clients, too, is that, you know, you don't want to come to me because I'm too expensive or you can get it done cheaper and someone's doing a microblading party. I said, okay, well, let me explain to you the dangers of that. And you're free to do as you will. But I just want to tell you that you run the risk of cross-contamination. Also, if it's a party environment, like, I can't work with a bunch of people around me all the time. I, yeah. I like to have focus. I want to give all my, 100% of my focus to my client. So that's, that's another thing that people got to keep in mind. And um, microblading, it's not easy. It's, it's difficult. I mean, we're working with tiny needles, tiny blades, and the technique is extremely specific, and you need focus in order to do it, in order to have a good result. And I ask those people, do you want someone to be completely focused on you, or do you want them to be distracted? I want them to be focused if I'm having it done. So um, what, as far as a candidate, uh, are, are we looking at? Because you're saying you're you're incorporating other things because – People may not be candidates for the microblading, and I know you mentioned oily skin, but uh, what else could be a contraindication? Um, skin that's really highly inflamed, uh, people with rosacea, people with um, very ruddy red skin is not a candidate. Uh, I find that these skin types um, ooze a lot more lymph, and so the healed result isn't as good. They usually have a lot more fading. Mm, um, okay. That's, that's my only counterindications. I, I would also, I've had really great results on mature skin and it feels really crisp and beautiful with results that had lasted two to three years, which is unusual because microblading generally lasts about one year uh, on an average. So uh, younger skin is, is better to work on as well. Uh, it's easier to implant and the, uh, the pigment goes in a lot smoother and the results heal a lot more crisp. So it's between that. So I would say that the hardest skin to work on would be highly inflamed skin and oily skin. So those okay. are my only counterindications as far as like skin types. So those people, you still have an alternative for them? Yes, absolutely. And what would that be? Okay. So in this case, I would offer them um, an eyebrow with a permanent makeup device, which is different than microblading. It's still tattooing, but the technique is different. So it's something we call a powder brow or a shaded brow or an ombre brow. Those are three different techniques that are really hot right now um, that is just hitting the U.S. market in the last year. So the ombre brow is done with a very, very thin needle. Um, called a nano needle, and it's about uh, 0.25 millimeters in diameter. I actually have to wear special glasses just to see it in the skin because it's really hard. Um, and so what that does, it gives like a really beautiful sheer effect, and it's like a fade. So you can choose to fade that ombre from either the bottom of the eyebrow up or from the tail of the eyebrow forward. So it's it's really cool in the way that it heals. It's like, you know, where at the head it's barely there, and at the top it's barely there, but then you have, you know, the the more... Um, concentrated saturation of pigment toward the end and toward the bottom. It's really beautiful. So that's also a really good option, and it's and it's really natural. Um, a lot of the last uh, few clients that I've done here, because I'm in Texas right now, I've done it, and they came in for microblading. and said, oh, let's, let's do the ombre shading instead because I think it'll look better on you, and they've been incredibly happy. So it just adds like a little bit more dimension to their eyebrows. So this, this is a really great option for them. And people get nervous about it because they come in for hair strokes and then think, oh, no, I don't want that block eyebrow. So no, 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 let me, let me show you my Instagram. Let me show you my results. And then they always agree to let me do the powder brow or the shaded brow. So those are the other options that we can do. 
Oh, one other thing. Uh, this isn't for everybody, but you can actually still create hair strokes with the permanent makeup machine. So you can make a microblading effect with a different technique with a nano needle. It's harder to do, but it can be done, and it's, the results are beautiful. So do they last? Are, are they even as far as they, they have the same lifespan? Like how long do these tattoos last, and, and what's the difference in time frame with the powder brow versus the microblading? Okay. So the microblading is going to fade faster because of the technique. Now, we're not implanting as much pigment with the microblading. But with the powder brow, we're actually doing the, uh, the brow all over the entire eyebrow. And uh, it lasts a little bit longer because we're having more saturation of pigment. So that's why the result is a little longer. Okay. And then, so you were saying how to find a technician earlier. Can you just be more specific as far as, because... It, you know, we've talked before about how people are stealing each other's work off the internet. Mm -hmm. um, so you yeah. don't know if it's their work. Um, so how, how does one find the right technician? Okay. Well, first of all, find out if the, if the technician is licensed. And everybody should have license inside their office, and they should have photos. And even on the website, you can even put um, your license number on the website. A lot of people don't do that, and and that's okay. But if the technician calls up the office and says, how are you licensed, you know, can I see your license, you know, that's, that's a good way to start. Um, secondly, make sure that they have a lot of before and afters. A lot and make sure that the work looks pretty much the same because everyone every artist is different and they have their own style but if they have like a lot of eyebrows that just look completely different and different photo qualities that then that starts to become a little bit suspect um, but be sure they have a lot of heel results that's that's really really most important because a lot of people will show their before and afters but they don't show their heel results so we don't know what that's going to look like in six months a year you know right afterwards that's that's the biggest telltale sign. So I would say that that's, you know, because beginners are not going to have a lot to start. Okay. Um, and so that's another way. So if they only have like five or six or even 20, then you know that they're a beginner. But if they have like hundreds, then you know that they've been doing it for a long time. So that's, that's the way to go. And everybody's got Instagram these days. Most people, or, or they should, artists really should. Because that's, that's how I found a lot of my clients is off of Instagram. And also oh. word of mouth. I work with a lot, a lot of plastic surgeons. And, um, you know, stylists, both in Houston and in New York. So I get a lot of recommendations from them and also from clients. So, yeah, just uh, do your homework, you know, and be sure that it's not Photoshopped. A lot of people Photoshop their work these days. It's hard to tell unless you're a professional photographer. And that's what we're talking about now in the deep professional circles in private, in private messages are we are um, looking at famous artists' work and we're noticing the Photoshopping. You can mm. see the pixels. You can see the lines where they thought they had um, cleaned it, but they didn't because someone who's trained in photography can see it. That's the reality. And I don't, I, like I said, I don't want to start a war with anybody, but it's, it's a thing. It's a thing we <laughs> talk about. So I don't Photoshop my work. Every, you see every wart and every imperfection in my work. Does it look good? Yeah, I do great work. But is it perfect? No, because sometimes the client's skin uh, it's difficult to work with. It's bumpy and, and the needle will skip on the bump. So, you know, especially when we're doing lips, I always recommend to clients a week in advance, please exfoliate your lips. So then I have a clean surface and then the work will be flawless, but that's not always the case. And then sometimes we have, um, you know, women who have wrinkles around their lips. Well, my line isn't going to be perfect because of the wrinkles. So I, I suggest to people a lot of the times beforehand, you can always get filler beforehand and then come back and in about a month and then I can work on you and because everything will be smoothed out and it'll be perfect. But this is an, in an ideal world. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot involved. There's, there's so much to know. I mean, I go over people's work and I go over my own work constantly and I scrutinize. And then I go to um, my favorite artists work who are just creating the beautiful um, permanent makeup. And I look and, I, and I, I look at how they've done it. And it's like, wow, I've learned something just by looking at someone else's photo. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's not just time we spend in the studio. It's time we spend at home on Facebook and on Instagram and talking to people. It's, it's a career. Yeah. So, you know, it's never ends. not an add on service. <laughs> no. Exactly. I actually had a client um, recently. I'm glad she chose me. Um, she just Googled microblading in, um, in the woodlands in Houston where I'm, where I'm working. And she didn't really do her homework. She just came straight to me. And I said, well, that was really risky of you, but I'm glad you came to me. But I wanted to warn you, definitely you, you need to go on the Instagram and, and look over the work to be sure it's what you like. So that's, that's my recommendation. The proof is in the photos. But, 
it is and it's not because the other thing I have to say about these kind of services and, and which is very misleading is that when you first get the microblading done, most people's look pretty amazing because the, it's yeah. a full pigment and, you know, nothing is faded at that point. And it's just like, it's like, wow. So, and then people don't talk about what happens after the six months. So it's a huge okay. difference between the beginning and then. So how do you still find the right person? Okay. Yeah. Well, the client should definitely ask the artist, you know, can I see your work after six months, after a year, after two years, what does it look like? Uh, that is, that is a big issue because again, we're talking about technique and now we're going to get into pigments because not all pigments are made the same and not all pigments heal the same. So when you're working with microblading pigments in particular, you want to be sure that the stroke is going to actually stay crisp after a year. You want to be sure that it's not going to migrate or blur out. Now, if it blurs out, that's not the end of the world because uh, it will only, it'll still be there, but you can still do the microblading over that. And then the blur out will, if, if it's the right color, will still provide a backdrop for the eyebrow and it still looks really good. Um, but if you're using cheap pigments, it's not going to heal crisp and it's not going to heal good. But if you use uh, the, the uh, good pigments are very expensive. Like the ones that I use are about $55 US per bottle. Um, and a lot of people think that's expensive. And it's like, well, no, I get like, I get about 10 clients from that bottle. So really it's not costing me that much, like $5 per client. You know what I mean? But people are, people are strange and they, they think it's better to use something that's $15. But mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're making $500 per service, which $500, $600, that's about an average, I mean, really, your overhead is really low compared to what you're making. So why cheap on the pigments? So if you're using higher quality, it's going to maintain its saturation, it's going to maintain its color, and it's going to maintain its, uh, its structure as it ages. So really, after a year, ideally, the stroke should still be there. So as a client, I would be asking, hey, can I see, can I see your work? I don't see your year um, on Instagram. Could I see what you have? And I keep all of my photos on my phone, you know, okay. just completely raw photos. And I show the client, so this is what you can expect. And you can, you know, and I'll guide them. If, you, if you're okay with coming back every year for a touch-up, you know, this is what to expect. And if not, then let's just do a powder brow and that'll be a better result for you if you don't want to keep coming in. And eventually that will also fade and they'll need to come in for color boost. But yeah, that's the thing with permanent makeup. Either you let it fade completely or you're, you have to uh, commit to getting color boost. So that's, that's something the client needs to be aware of. And they do that how often? Every year, about every year. Some, some will come in uh, two years. I usually tell them whenever they feel like they need to have to come in. Okay. So there's no hard and fast rule because everybody's skin is different. And then you go into the sun. Some people love to go into the sun. Well, the sun is going to fade the, the permanent makeup. It's going to make it fade faster. So that's also something else to think about. So, so the client who doesn't go into the sun and doesn't like to go swimming, their permanent makeup is going to last longer. That makes sense. That happens to hair color and all kinds of different things. Right. Yeah. So here's another question because, uh, you know, we're hearing a lot about the pink brows, which again, you're going to explain what that is, but if Mm -hmm. someone ends up with pink brows, what would you recommend they do? And first of all, what is it and what would they do? Okay. Well, the pink brows is due to, um, uh, low quality iron oxide pigments. Um, there are high quality iron oxide pigments as well, but what happens is in the low quality pigments, they're not manufactured or designed in such a way that the molecules of the different colors that create the brown stay together over time. And that's called light fastness. So in the higher quality, those molecules are fused together and they fade, they fade together, keeping the brown, but just a lighter color brown as it fades. Now in the lesser quality, um, your yellows will disappear, your blacks will disappear, your greens will disappear, and then what's left is the red or the iron oxide, which over time turns red in the skin. So that's where the pink comes from and the orange comes from and the red comes from. Now, um, is it easy to correct? Yes, you, if you use high-quality uh, color-correcting pigments and then target pigments over that, you can absolutely correct that color, especially if it's not too dark. And luckily, in most cases, it's not too dark. So if the client comes in with light red, or pink eyebrows, I can simply go over it with an olive corrector or a green-based corrector, and then go over it again with the target color, the color that they want, and then it should heal to that color. So it's, you know, you have to know a little something about color theory in order to make corrections. But every microblading artist, everybody, if you want to stay in the industry, you absolutely must learn how to correct your own work. Because if the client comes in a year later with red eyebrows that you did and you don't know how to correct it, it's going to ruin your business. This is very important. 
Now, do you end up doing much correction work um, on other people's work? And yes and no. Depends. If, if I can work with the shape and still get my level of shape on the client, then yes, I'll go over it without removal. Um, if they come in with a really messed up shape and there's nothing I can do to fix it, I will, you know, require them to get it removed before I'll work on them. Either I, I'll send them to laser removal if that's what they want to do, or I will remove it myself with saline. But usually the saline removal, depending on the saturation of the pigment, can take anywhere from two to five times. So Great. it's a commitment for the client as well. And it's not, it, it, they're not going to have pretty brows for a while. And that's the reality of the situation. So if somebody goes, um, to a cheap microblading artist and gets um, brows messed up or a bad shape, they're stuck with it for a while, and then the removal process is really hard. So I, I need, I, I really ask that people do their research and before they go to a to a microblading artist, because okay. the results can can really be bad uh, for months, even a year afterwards. Well, hopefully, with our little conversation here, it's going to open up another conversation, and people have a better idea how to find the right people and to know what to look for. Um, and again, they'll have your information up on our website at beautygps.com so that if they have any questions, I'm sure they could reach out to you on Facebook and, and other resources. Yeah, absolutely. I'm always available. Do you have any pet peeves out there that are going on kind of in the business? Because like for me with lash extensions, there's that volume lashing, which I think still, no matter what, is going to damage the lashes. Is there anything yeah. about tattooing, uh, microblading, anything that's kind of driving you nuts that's going on out there? Yeah, actually, especially when it comes to microblading, uh, because it seems like the level of artistry in the United States has gone down to microblading, gone down with microblading, and it, is, it seems that really bad work is congratulated. So I'm on the forums a lot, and I see um, artists sharing their work, and it's clearly bad. It's it's too deep. Um, it's migrated. It's turned into um, uh, like a gray or blue undertone, and everybody thinks that that's just great. It's just fine, and it's not correct. It's completely incorrect. Microblading should never heal like that. Mm. So it's just the level of artistry that's gone down. People just don't really care, and it just seems that People are just in it for, you know, a buck or they think they can just do it in a nail salon for cheap and that it's okay. And it's not okay because, you know, once you, once you tattoo someone's face, even if it's semi-permanent makeup, you know, which is what we're calling microblading, it's still technically a tattoo and you're forever going to change that person. Yeah. So if it's not done correctly, it's permanent and it'll never fade. Microblading, when it's done right, it can fade after about two years. I just had a client come in that I did two years ago and there was nothing left in her skin. And that's wonderful. I like to see that. It means the depth was correct and it eventually, it eventually went away. But, you know, this is just the thing. It just seems like there's a lack of knowledge in the area and the level of education has gone down. So, yeah, these are my pet peeves. And so we just kind of learn to ignore it now because it's everywhere. It's an epidemic. So, Julia, what do you think about the whole tattooing under the eyes to get rid of dark circles that's going on? Um, yeah, no, this has been going around the, uh, the permanent makeup circles. And, uh, yeah, everyone's appalled by it, uh, the dark under eye circles, because this is titanium dioxide, which they're implanting in the skin, which has a very large molecule, and it, can, and it cannot be removed from the skin uh, without surgery. So the problem with titanium dioxide is when you implant it into the skin, as it ages, it turns yellow, and then the molecules of the uh, actual pigment, they bubble up to the surface of the skin, creating a cottage cheese-looking effect. And uh, this cannot be removed. So in essence, uh, doing this kind of service on somebody will make someone look worse. And then the only way to remove it would be by surgery, which is going to end up disfiguring the client. So it's a really bad idea to use titanium dioxide under the eyes or anywhere on the face, really. You know, people for under their eyes have been using microneedling forever, which is fine. So you can do something with that mm -hmm. for the collagen and, and try to affect the coloring that way and make the skin thicker. But you're uh, officially saying do not <laughs> a camouflage underneath the eyes. No, never, ever. I would never even dream of it. Plus, the, the uh, skin under the eyes is really thin, too. So this is going to even compound the problem. Uh, I've, I've heard of uh, PRP injections under the eyes can get rid of dark circles. I've never tried it, but I've seen it on some people, and they look really good. So that's another option what they can do in addition to microneedling. Yeah, I, I, I think in the right hands, you're correct. 
um, but it's such a delicate area with that skin. So it's it's got to be really, really in the right hands. And then also the person being safe with it, because there's so many people doing those kind of services that should not. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. And I've seen those videos from these really well-publicized artists doing this. And they're doing it with a rotary tattoo machine, which in the wrong hands is very dangerous because the rotary oh. machine is um, it's meant for the body. And it's a very, very strong machine. And that's yeah. why we use digital devices and permanent makeup devices because they're more gentle for the skin. And the needles are more gentle. So this is double scary because not only are they tattooing in titanium dioxide, but they're using a very strong um, rotary machine while in the right hand, someone who's very skilled and experienced, maybe that's not such a bad idea, you know, to use a rotary on, on the face. However, in the wrong hands, it's very dangerous. You can tear the skin, rip the skin, all sorts of stuff you can, you can do. It's horrible. Well, now also, what about tattooing for stretch marks? Because I've microneedled stretch marks, but I would not think of, yeah. again, pigmentation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not removal. It's actually cover-up. They're called, cover. It's called camouflage. Yeah, this is like um, like camouflage. Like uh, sometimes artists will use titanium dioxide to cover up old bad tattooing or bad permanent makeup. But the problem with, with it is that it does change over time. So if you use a flesh color pigment, it will change the look over time. And also our skin changes color. So eventually that, te- that, cover, that cover up or camouflage pigment will end up um, sticking out and it'll be noticeable in the skin. Yeah, because people wonder if there's a suntan and your skin changes, that other yeah. pigment is going to stay the same. So that's, that's right. <laughs> and then, yeah, as you know, pigments change over time with tattooing. So what what could that turn into? Uh, it generally turns into more of like a yellowish cream color in the skin over time. You know, I, I don't do scar camouflage, so I'm not an expert in that area. And I do know people who do it. And they do it really well. So it can be done, but somebody really has to understand the pigments. And that's a whole other um, level of permanent makeup or, or tattooing. Uh, and that takes a lot of training. So I specialize in the face, so I know what not to use on the face. And I would never attempt stretch marks. Okay, interesting. I, I know microneedling yeah. with the stretch marks is great. It's fine. But with pigment, right. that would make me nervous, too. You know, we're hearing a lot about the pink brows, which, again, you're going to explain what that is. But mm-hmm. if someone ends up with pink brows, what would you recommend they do? And first of all, what is it and what would they do? Okay. Well, the pink brows is due to um, uh, low-quality iron oxide pigments. Um, there are high-quality iron oxide pigments as well. But what happens is in the low-quality pigments, they're not manufactured or designed in such a way that the molecules of the different colors that create the brown together over time and that's called light fastness so in the higher quality those molecules are fused together and they fade they fade together keeping the brown but just a lighter color brown as it fades now in the lesser quality um, your yellows will disappear your blacks will disappear your greens will disappear and then what's left is the red or the iron oxide which over time turns red in the skin so that's where the pink comes from and the orange comes from and the red comes from now um, is it easy to correct? Yes, you, if you use high-quality uh, color-correcting pigments and then target pigments over that, you can absolutely correct that color, especially if it's not too dark. And luckily, in most cases, it's not too dark. So if the client comes in with light red or pink eyebrows, I can simply go over it with an olive corrector or a green-based corrector and then go over it again with the target color, the color that they want, and then it should heal to that color. So it's, you know, you have to know a little something about color theory in order to make corrections. But every microblading artist, everybody, if you want to stay in the industry, you absolutely must learn how to correct your own work. Because if the client comes in a year later with red eyebrows that you did and you don't know how to correct it, it's going to ruin your business. This is very important. Well, at this point, I would normally have people open up question and answers, but I had some tough technical difficulties, so we didn't um, get the, the callers online. So I have questions from callers that uh, wanted to ask you questions. Awesome. <laughs> so, so first we have Donna from New York, and Donna had microblading done last year, and she said she felt like it was the worst pain she's experienced ever. Um, but she likes the effect and she's like, so she never went in for her touch up because she had too much pain. What would you recommend in her situation? Okay. Um, when I first started microblading, there was a trend of not pre-numbing the eyebrows because it was thought that pre-numbing the eyebrows made, uh, too much swelling and too much difficulty in the microblading. 
Um, as as I progressed in the industry, found that this simply wasn't true. So you can actually have a pain-free experience. Um, so it would be best to pre-numb the eyebrows with cream that's designed to penetrate the epidermis and actually get the eyebrow area numb. And then we do the pre-drawing and then we do the first pass. And then after the first pass, which is usually very light, we apply the secondary anesthetic, which numbs the eyebrow even more. So what I usually tell clients, especially those who are very sensitive, um, the pain in the beginning is a mild discomfort, but it should never be painful. So the pain has come from, from a technician who didn't properly numb the eyebrow area. So she could come to, uh, come to me or come to anybody else who uses a primary anesthetic, and then she should be pain-free. So she can come back and, and be fine. So in general, this service should be pain-free. Yeah, it, it should be. Mm-hmm. Okay. In very right. rare, in very rare cases, if they're uh, resilient to anesthetics, that does happen. We do have clients like that, uh, but they usually know. Which, is, when they go in for dental work, it usually takes them an hour to numb up, whereas it would take wow. another person five minutes. So, but they usually know, and they indicate that in their paperwork. But yes, it should be pain free. Well, I'm sure Donna thanks you. So we also have. <laughs> Now, Brandy in California, she's losing her hair around her hairline because of an inflammatory condition, and she Uh has to get cortisone shots around her hairline. And she was wondering, is microblading something that she could be doing around the hairline? Um, And if so, would she be a candidate with the cortisone, or is she just not even a candidate and she has to do regular tattoo work? What would you recommend in her situation? Okay. So this is this is kind of a controversy in the permanent makeup world at the moment, and I'll, I'm I'm not experienced in scalp micropigmentation, but I'm definitely opinionated. So we have something called <laughs> scalp micropigmentation. You can either microblade the area um, to make hair-like strokes, or you can use pointillism technique with the permanent makeup device. Now, um, in skilled hands, and there are definitely skilled technicians out there who can who can use a pointillism effect. Um, it can be effective to uh, mimic uh, stubble in the hair. However, I haven't seen enough healed results over the years to indicate that it won't turn blue or migrate. Now, of course, I don't want to say anything against those masters in the industry who do this and who specialize in this field because they would be more qualified to answer this question than me. I'm just telling my experience. But with microblading, absolutely never. It's a terrible idea. And the reason being is because the skin and the scalp is a different um, consistency. It's a different thickness. It has more oil, so it's not designed. It's not designed to microblade in the scalp. Um, it'll blur out. It can turn blue. So it's just not going to be a good result. So in this case, um, I this is a question I've actually wondered myself because I have a lot of clients with disappearing hairlines, and I've been talking to plastic surgeons who who uh, recommend PRP injections to stimulate hair growth in the area. So it's experimental, but they've had some success with it. So I would suggest clients in that case to go and talk to a plastic surgeon about um, PRP injections. That's a great so I idea. I don't recommend scalp micropigmentation. Okay. No, she, she was wondering and she's like, I can't get on there, but could you ask for me? And I said, I absolutely <laughs> will. I'm sure she'll have yeah. an answer for you. So PRP sh- injections. Well, thank you for that. And so we're on to Erica next um, out of New York and she's in the process of growing out her eyebrows. And she said, um, first of all, would you recommend that she grows her brows out first and then wait till she gets the tattoo work? Or um, what, what process, at what point should people actually get the brows if they're considering growing it out and giving it a chance? I know she's been trying to work on her brows for a while. Um, at what point do people go for the microblading or wait? Okay, if she's growing out her eyebrows, I would suggest her to, to keep growing them out until they can't grow it anymore. And don't worry about the shapes because any expert microblading artist is going to be a master at shaping them. So that's really important. Don't get them waxed beforehand because, you know, the artist who's going to be doing the tattooing is going to be very specific about the shape that we put on. So grow out the hair. So then then we can see the hair stroke pattern because then we can mimic your hair stroke pattern and make it look supernatural. And then um, after we've mapped the eyebrows, we just simply remove any hair that's outside our mapping. So okay. I would definitely recommend to grow them out first. Very cool. And we have one last question for you. It's Frida in Brooklyn. And she said she's been noticing a lot of microblading in the brows. And she says, mm-hmm. I'm 
seeing a lot of very dark brows. Um, and she said, it's, it's kind of severe and not feminine looking. And she's like, mm-hmm. why does this happen? Um, and then she's like, I, I noticed that some people have a gradual fading, but how much does it fade from the time of how dark it is to the fade? Okay. So, okay. Uh-huh. Darker pigments stay in the skin longer. Um, they also look a lot more severe. Now, there's several reasons for this. Uh, a lot of the times, people who are not educated in color theory, you'll have a client coming in um, with medium medium to medium dark skin. She's got black hair. Um, so the microblading artist will say, oh, let me, let me do like a dark brown or black pigment. So this is when the pigment is actually going to be too severe, and that's actually the wrong color choice. So if you look closely at any client's hair color, um, even if it's black, if you look real close into the light, it's not black, it's brown. It has like a black-brown tinge to it. So we're not going to be using black into the skin. We're going to be using like a dark brown. And now if you're tattooing dark brown into, you know, medium brown skin or even dark skin, you're going to need to add a red or an orange into there to counteract. So this is where color theory comes into consideration. So the darker the skin, the darker the pigment, the cooler the skin's going to be. So in effect, if you're, if you're tattooing in a dark brown without the orange modifier or without like a warmer pigment, it's actually the pigment and the skin is going to combine together into a really cool effect. So then it's going to turn gray or blue. That's number one. Um, so in, in that case, I would choose sometimes even a medium or, or like a warm medium dark, uh, brown pigment or add orange. And so then the effect, when, it, when that color is tattooed into the darker skin, um, then it's going to turn into a nice rich brown color. Okay, number two. Oftentimes, microblading artists will make the mistake of putting um, strokes too close together. And so as microblading heals in the skin, even with the best pigment and the best technique, it's still going to expand the skin a little bit. So those strokes are going to end up bleeding together, causing that really severe look, number two. Number Mm. three, going too deep or going too many passes into the stroke. So a lot of artists will tattoo the pigment in and then say, gee, it's not dark enough. Let me do five more passes. No, no, that's wrong. Because the the more passes you do over one stroke, the deeper you're going to go because you're always cutting the skin as you're implanting more pigment. And then you're going to end up with strokes that are too thick that will eventually blur together as they heal. That's number, is that number three or number four? I don't remember. Number three. (laughs) Number three. I think it's number three. (laughs) There's so much information there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. There's a number four too. Okay. It's something called hyperpigmentation, which as an esthetician, Mary, you're highly um, educated in. But for the public, hyperpigmentation is when you injure the skin and then uh, the skin reacts in such a way it gives more melanin to the area of the injured area and it actually darkens the area of vision mm. or, or uh, wounding. So the darkness of that melanin actually contributes to the, uh, the healed result or the, uh, the pigment that you put in. So that's another reason why sometimes the, the pigment will heal darker than what you had originally put in. So that's something to keep in mind. So when I have a client, I look at their face, I look at their hands, I look for signs of hyperpigmentation. You know, do they, are they, do they hyperpigment? And usually darker skin tones will hyperpigment um, more so than lighter skin tones. Not always a hard and fast rule, but that's something to keep in mind. So I always look for clues in their skin and I ask them, but hey, you know, do you scar easily? You know, does, when, when you get wounded, does, does the, the, the scar stay for a few months? You know, does it take time for it to go away? Those, those are important indications. So in that case, if they're prone to hyperpigmentation, I'm going to choose a color that's uh, one shade lighter just to counterbalance that. And then when I come in for the touch-up, if I still need to add something darker, I'll just go ahead and, and use a darker pigment because it's easier to go darker than lighter. We can't lighten the pigment. We can always make it darker, though. So those are my four reasons why answers to that question. Excellent. Well, she definitely said she was really interested in the process, but she's like, if it looks that dark and I don't know how light it's going to be. So you would you would generally say the percentage of how it fades is what from the time you get it put in to the time uh, six months later? What what would that percentage of fade in as a general? I know it's individual, but what would that be? Yeah. It's general. Um, depending on the pigment line, it could be anywhere from 20% fading uh, to that's like after it's completely healed. So we consider it completely healed after four weeks. That's when the color matures in the skin. So it can be anywhere from 20% uh, to 50%. And then after six months, depending on this client's skin type, it could fade another 50%. And then a year it, after a year, it could be completely gone or it could be still there at about 80%. So it depends on the, the dryness of the client's skin. That's really the biggest indication of that. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to mention. Oh, yeah. 
Right. Uh, back to the other question. Um, if, if that woman, her name was uh, Erica in New York City or Frida in Brooklyn, uh, the microblading actually looks darker um, the week after the, the actual uh, treatment because um, as the skin is healing, the skin closes and then the pigment pools on top of the skin. So you really can't tell the true healed result until about three to four weeks afterwards until the skin is completely healed. So that's another reason why sometimes right after the treatment, it'll appear really dark. And I have to warn all my clients, says, please um, don't panic after a week. If you want to panic, panic you know, after a week, but not the first week because I've warned them. It's, it's going to be really dark and then it's going to lighten up. So, yeah, it, it really depends. So ideally, it would disappear after a year and a half. But, you know, remain, a remnants of the pigment can still be at 80% at a year out. So it, it does really depend. Does Excellent. that answer your question? Yes, it does. And uh, I think you're going to probably get two more new clients here out of this. <laughs> Maybe three, actually, because awesome. Donna, Donna needs that retouch. So. That they, they do a lot of research and not just, you know, research the, uh, the service and say, oh, I want to get microblading done. Because I think a lot of clients fall into the trap of thinking, oh, it's semi-permanent and it's going to fade. That is wrong. Um, it, it is a tattoo, so you have to be very careful. And in the wrong hands, that tattoo is going to last forever, and it can permanently disfigure somebody, especially if the artist doesn't do the right shape. Um, what we find mostly in the industry is symmetry. Symmetry is really hard to get, and it takes a really fine eagle eye in order to make someone's out, eyebrows completely symmetrical. So that's, that's what we see a lot of is um, the asymmetry and then the too deep and then the scarring. So I would suggest any client to just do a lot of research and ask for a lot of healed photos. And even so much as book a, book a consultation with the artist. Go inspect their room. Make sure it's clean. Make sure it has a lot of light. And make sure it looks professional. And don't go to a nail salon. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's the same for lashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yep. because it's it's a professional service. It's not it's not an add-on service. It's it's very serious, and it takes about a year to become really good at it. I mean, I teach. I have I've taught over a thousand students in my academy, and I know how long it takes. I mean, the artists who are naturally talented still have to put a lot of work in for practicing. Because if you do it perfect on the fake skin, then you get to real skin. The nerves hit. Everything is different because you're dealing with blood and you're dealing with um, a three-dimensional surface instead of a two-dimensional surface and you're dealing with all three, and then the nerves. So, and then the client wincing, you have to be able to work through the client and the client, you know, experiencing pain if they have it, know how to deal with the pain management. So there's a lot, there's a lot involved. It takes a lot of experience. So that's the other thing I would, I would recommend, you know, to someone who's seriously thinking about doing it is make sure that the artist is uh, experienced and has a lot of before and after results. That's really important. But as you and I have seen, there are people that have been around for years though and have lots of experience. So it comes mm -hmm. back to still the type of product they're using, their yeah. aesthetic eye, and the fact that, you know, the safety of it too. So it, yeah. it's not just time. That's true. And make sure they do good artwork. So somebody can say, oh, I've been doing permanent makeup for 10 years. And we get this a lot. I get a lot of people telling me, oh, I'm so experienced. I've been doing this for a long time. And then I look at their work. I'm like, really? You practice? <laughs> do, you, do you go to advanced trainings? Because I mean, I, I go to advanced trainings once a year. I make sure that I, I spend time and I learn new techniques. And I learn from other people who've been doing it longer, who are better than me. And I learned what they do, and I'm like, and and I always improve myself, and that's that's just the way it is. It's constant improvement. Every guest is going to have a beauty hack, and I want to know what is your beauty hack. It could be about anything, but it's something that you just are like, hey, this is what I figured out, and it's something that is like the coolest thing. Just what what's what is your beauty hack? Okay, I'm super excited about skincare, and I'm obsessed with it. So. What I started to do, I started doing a lot of research into nutrition and into collagen induction therapy. So I learned that um, the more collagen I ingest in my diet via powders or bone broth, um, the better my skin behaves and better my, my nails and hair grow. And then I discovered microneedling or uh, collagen induction therapy, which is like wounding the skin um, to induce collagen production. And I found out that the more collagen I ingest and get you know, put through my system, the better my skin actually um, uh, relates or responds to the collagen induction therapy. So I've actually been able to rebuild my entire skin. I'm able to get more um, 
uh, what is it called, volume in my cheeks and more defined um, in my cheekbones and, and more skin, uh, to my skin to be thicker and more healthy. So that's my beauty hack. So I'm, I'm constantly drinking collagen and then getting um, microneedling done or the collagen induction therapy. So, yeah, <laughs> I love it. You're, you're just doing tattoo in a different way without the pigment. Uh-huh. Without the pigment, <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm purposely wounding my skin to, to make it grow more, but it's totally worked. It's, it's been amazing. So yeah, Can you tell us what, what the collagen is? Uh, yeah. So you can use anything from um, – um, sea collagen, uh, you can get that from Japan. But actually, I have my favorite. I'm, I'm using, um, what is it called, bulletproof collagen protein. It, you can get it at Whole Foods. It comes in a powder. And yeah. you just put it, yeah, you, you put that in, a chocolate or vanilla. And then I also make my own bone broth. I bought myself one of those, um, what do you call it, um, one of those pressure cookers, Instapots. So then uh. I go to Whole Foods. Yeah, I go to Whole Foods and they literally sell like the, the, the beef bones. They actually sell them in the freezer section. So I go and I stock up on those and then I just make my own bone broth. And so when it comes out like really gelatiny, that's when I know it's good. And then I just add some, you know, my meat in there or my vegetables in there and I drink that all the time. That's so amazing. That's I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen saved my life. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. A lot of people are addicted to it and they love it for their bone broth. And I just, I'm watching people's skin transform by using their Instapots with their oh, bone, wow. bone broth. Yeah. I mean, completely transform. Me. No, not That's just so you. Cool. So the microneedling is right. just the bonus on top of that. So you're, you're, you're uh -huh. already doing something intuitively and, and I'm seeing the effect on other people with that. And then with the microneedling, it's like, you've got the perfect duo there. So amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm so happy that other people are getting the same results. Yeah. Well, this is a great beauty hack, Julia, and I, I appreciate you sharing that. And thank you mm -hmm. so much also for being our first guest. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. It was so we exciting. Survived. I was so excited when you asked me. I was like, cool, I get to share about microblading. Yeah, well, it was, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's Well, microblading is not even that new anymore. I mean, it's been around how long now for you? I would say uh, for me, five years. And five I was years. one of the very first artists in the USA. So in the USA, five years. Five years. So something that's been around five years, it's already old hat to us. And mm -hmm. you're already on to the next thing with the ombre brow, which I am so mm -hmm. glad to announce that service on Beauty GPS because it mm -hmm. sounds amazing. In fact, I'll be yeah. talking to you about that later. Um, <laughs> awesome. It sounds really cool. Definitely. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. And, um, you know, uh, if there's anything else we didn't cover, let me know. Um, but I think you've given a lot of information here. Yeah, no, I'm happy to share. Uh, if I think of anything, I'll, I'll shoot you an email. But I think I think we we covered a lot of bases today. So excellent. So we will have all of your information at beautygps.com including how to get training if you're interested in training and how to get all the products that you're talking about and just a little bit more information. So Julia, once again, thank you um, and happy okay. 2019. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye. My name is Mary Shook and this has been Beauty GPS in the Raw. Thanks for listening. Beauty GPS is a 2019 copyright, Beauty by Mary Shook, LLC. All rights reserved.